0: I also had a chance to chat with Jared Cummings. He's EDUCAUSE Senior Advisor for Policy and Government Relations, and he speaks to the current state of innovation in higher ed, the impacts of federal policy and government relations, and why higher ed leaders need to be cognizant of policy changes. Have a listen. All right. Well, Jared, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I know you must have a pretty busy schedule here on the show floor in Chicago at EDUCAUSE 2023.
1: Yeah, we've got uh, um, you know doing a a policy Q and A tomorrow, and then uh, have the uh, uh, CIO for the federal for the Office of Federal Student Aid at the Department of Education is doing a panel session Thursday morning, and then I'm doing my uh, annual policy presentation session after that. Right,
0: Uh, a lot on deck. Yeah, sure. And uh, knowing your members well as as well as our listeners and readers, and uh, you know coming from a space of IT where I think a lot. Of the folks you who know, really get into the technology aspect policy maybe not so much maybe there might be an instinct to kind of maybe gloss over but obviously it's, it's a huge important part of not only their work but the, you know the necessity
1: for, for the institutions they work for right absolutely um yeah i think with the acceleration of regulatory processes over the course of the Biden administration we're seeing more and more of that impact at the institutional level or at least you can see it on the horizon, you know it's coming. And so, uh, you know, I have playing to issues during cybersecurity. We just submitted comments on the uh, Department of Justice's uh, rulemaking around web and mobile app uh, accessibility. Um, and then when I get back to you at fruits uh, there's more uh, notices of proposed rulemaking uh, awaiting my attentions. So, yeah, yeah. It just keeps coming. No,
0: Sid, it, it never stops. How do you suggest um, folks prioritize and understand what they need to know on a day-to-day basis or a
1: week-to-week basis uh, when it comes to the policy. Well, I think it's really important to uh, engage in associations like EDUCAUSE. So, we have our policy channel in the EDUCAUSE review site where we're regularly providing information about the different processes we're trying to address in EDUCAUSE. Our colleagues at the American Council on Education, the Association of American Universities, the National Association of College and University Business Officers. We all have our piece of the higher education uh, legislative or regulatory puzzle. And so the plugging into those organizations allows uh, other leaders and professionals in higher education to keep track of the different uh, uh, policy developments Uh, in the different areas that impact higher education without having to try to track it for themselves. Right,
0: right, right. So when, um, again, you think about the prioritization, right now, what is the state of play? What are some of the most essential pieces of legislation and
1: policy that should be at the the front of their radar? Well, I think right now, the the breakdown in Congress has put the legislative aspect of our work somewhat on the back burner, um, unless you're dealing with the you know, budgetary issues, which is really outside Edgewise's normal space. Yeah. But um, at the agency level, you you really find the Biden administration trying to push through its agenda uh, via the agencies as much as possible. Okay. And so, and to talk about the the U.S. Department of Education. Um, The Office of Federal Student Aid is in the process of rolling out uh, 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 an addition to the financial aid process where uh, the federal taxpayer information is going to be used directly in the processing federal financial aid. Well, that brings with it cybersecurity implications for that federal tax information when it flows down to colleges and universities. And so we're awaiting right now it, the new version, the new version of the agreement that colleges and universities have to sign in order to exchange data. Yeah, was, so, so am I. i have two in college. Yeah. Oh, those are so, updates well about it, actually. Well, so yeah, the, the the FAFSA itself. Yeah. That's you know, that's even uh, more significant for the fe- uh, federal student aid ecosystem overall. Yeah. But for colleges and universities, for our members, it's fairly uh, clear that FSA is going to incorporate new cybersecurity requirements into that Student Aid Internet Gateway Agreement because they have to, um, now that they're handling federal tax information and they're going to be passing that information to colleges and universities. We just don't know what those provisions are going to be yet. right? And so therefore, the ability of institutions to plan and adapt mm-hmm. more, it hangs on when we're going to get that information. Now, fortunately, FSA did announce um, about a week to two weeks ago that it's targeting October 23rd as the date to release the new SAIG agreement. So at that point, we'll get a sense for what new requirements institutions are going to face. And perhaps even more importantly, how quickly they're going to face them. Um, Because then our use of federal tax information and federal student aid processing you know, that once that new FAFSA is released, people start completing it. The process um, is such that by I believe it's July 1 of next year, you know, all of the provisions required to handle federal tax information in federal in student processing are supposed to be in place. The question for our members is going to be, are we gonna to have to worry about having all of the cybersecurity cyber issues associated with that in place at the same time? we just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are there differences in priorities
0: when it comes to different levels of institutes uh, of higher learning, institutions of higher learning? Are the same issues that um, would be in court for someone who's uh, in a leadership position at a community college the same as it would
1: be at someone would say of that, the that a you know, a large state institution? I think it really depends on the nature of the issue. So in terms of what we've been working with you know, most directly and most recently, um, if you're involved in uh, federal student aid, then these issues apply regardless of institutional size. Yeah. And so the differences in what is it going to take for a smaller and possibly less well resourced institution to adapt relative to a larger institution? that may have more resources but also has a more complicated environment. Right. So it's hard to, to parse out exactly how these issues are going to flow across different institutional types and sizes until institutions start experiencing them. Right. Um, with web and mobile app accessibility that we, you know, we just submitted comments to the Department of Justice on their proposed rules for web and mobile app accessibility, um, the way Uh, in their proposed regulations, they've um, parsed the difference, um, is essentially, if you're an institution that's associated with a a government jurisdiction that has a census population of 50,000 or more, then you would be considered a large public entity, and you would get two years to come into compliance with their regulations. Whereas if you're associated with a government that has a census population of less than 50,000, you'd be considered a small public entity and you'd get three years for compliance. And now there are a lot of problems with that from a higher education perspective, given that the uh, government jurisdiction you're associated with doesn't necessarily have anything to do as an institution of higher education with your available resources, your internal capacity, the population that you're trying to serve. Um, so that's one of the things we addressed in our comments to the Department of Justice. You know, we said, essentially, at a minimum, that higher education at large would need three years, regardless of institution size, to try to address these issues. But in reality, the department should be looking at first, having a different way of describing Size and capability in higher education relative to its regulations, and that it also should be giving a, uh, more something more along the lines of a five-year time horizon to achieve compliance with um, an understanding that institutions would have would develop a plan that are achieving compliance around the midpoint of that time period. That that is a more realistic approach than just saying, "Oh." You're a community college and you're associated with a city that has a population of 50,001. Yeah, so you only get two years to achieve compliance with these regulations. Whereas a community college in a city that's 49,999, yeah, they get three years, right? Right
0: <clears throat> now, earlier today, I was talk- talking with Betsy on, about uh resilience and edge cost strategies in, in terms of creating. Uh, an age of resilience for institutions and one of the things she talked about was the the need to break down silos like within institutions when it comes to policy um, was it traditional for one particular leader say the leadership group to kind of own that and has that changed in terms of the sharing of information when it comes to policy decisions in an institution
1: I think well um Institutions that have um, government relations personnel, uh, generally that office reports to or is part of the office of the president and historically um, has been responsible for the interface between the institution and state government or federal government. But I think what's changed over time is the awareness that these major issues in higher education IT, like accessibility, like cybersecurity, um, have broad institutional empowers, and so what you're seeing is uh, uh, an opening of the interface between the government relations and federal relations personnel and the CIO, the CSO, so that they have that, so that the government relations office can tap into that internal knowledge of what these issues mean for the institution, and vice versa, CIOs and CSOs can inform their government relations colleagues, and who can engage with the president and help them understand, you know, these web accessibility regulations are, are, are pretty significant. We as an institution we need to get our arms around this and think about how we would respond.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, in most of my interviews, I try to wrap it up by asking a horizon question. Um, I can only imagine it's pretty tough to uh, look at the horizon with the government shut down with the presidential election coming up, but uh, I'll ask it anyway, Jared. <laughs> nope. Take take a look in, into your crystal ball and um, give our listeners um, or some insights into where you see maybe say the two or three most important
1: things that might be coming down the pike that they should be aware of. Well, I think it's it's a clear trend lined um, across the federal government and pushing out to federal government stakeholders that um, the awareness or, uh, of the necessity to address cybersecurity in a whole-of-government, whole-of-society approach has really come home. And so we're, we've seen a great deal of policymaking and regulatory activity in that space, and we're going to continue to see at least uh, uh, a great deal of regulatory activity in that space over the next few years as the implications of the the laws that have been passed and the regulations that have already been in place continue to flow out across agencies and the sectors they address. Okay. Um, And then, yeah, uh, we're just at the beginning of the renewed conversation around IT accessibility. um, This DOJ's uh, rulemaking that's currently in process, is based in Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act that addresses state and local government entities, but that's just the start. And once they were finished there, then they will turn to Title III, which is the part of the ADA that encompasses private institutions of higher education, among other quote-unquote private sector actors. And so, you know, that process is just going to continue over into that rulemaking. At the same time, the Department of Education Uh, announced last year that it's going to revamp its Section 504 uh, regulations around IT accessibility. And And those automatically cover any institution that engages in federal student aid programs, regardless of whether they are public or private. So, we filed comments on October 3rd, um, but my expectation is that we're going to be commenting on regulations in this space well into the future. Unless, of course, there's a change in administration, and then I'll have to revisit my crystal ball. <laughs> I'll never until moment. That's, that's all you got, huh? Yeah. Matt, you must have a busy day. Well, you know you have to. Well, and then the other thing is, you know, it's um, November 2024 can change dynamics um, completely. Right. And we were in 2016 at the near the end of the Obama administration. We were talking about web accessibility regulations then in uh, Trump, President Trump uh, alerts the campaign. That discussion evaporates for May's return, and now it's back. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, uh, you're doing yeoman's work when it comes to kind of keeping all these things under control. I know that the members of EDUCAUSE appreciate it, and it's, it's important work. And uh, I appreciate you kind of filling me and our listeners in on, on what's happening. we'll be sure to uh, follow um, your work up
1: on EDUCAUSE. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate the discussion. Thanks again, Jared.